Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Santa H. from New Jersey, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Monday, December 25th, to 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 7, the third paragraph that begins with, But it was not. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Esther F., the 12 Traditions, Nora S., and reading the literature today are Amy W., Allison L., and Craig F. The share ID for Sunday, December 24th, 2017, our special edition meeting is 10,833. That's 10833. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our life has, lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, 
We try to carry this message to alcohol compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. And thank you, Esther F. And now I will ask Nora S. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Nora S. calling from Maydock, Ontario, in Canada. Uh, I'm a compulsive overeater. Here are the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you very much. I pass. And thank you, Nora S. And how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery, described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page seven, the third paragraph beginning with, but it was not, through three paragraphs ending, alcohol was my master, comments on all. I will now ask Amy W. to begin reading. 
Good morning, Santa. Thank you for your service, and good morning, everyone. My name is Amy W., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from California. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain, perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. They did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining the endless procession of thoughts who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What I would not give to make amends, but that was over now. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Well, very uh, gut-wrenching and tragic language here he uses. Um, the curve of his moral decline and, and health, bodily health, like, fell off like a ski jump. Uh, pulling the curtain shut, despair, um, uh, plunging into darkness. And, of course, that last paragraph, um, feeling like quicksand stretching all around and alcohol was my master. So Bill is, is in step one here. And I find it interesting, it's been pointed out to me, that it's, we're on page eight, so we're halfway through. So 50% of the way through his chapter, his story, and he's on step one. He's taken eight pages to describe this very um, mighty decline due to this disease. And um, he's learned from the doctor the dual nature of this disease, the, the uh, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. But he says in that first sentence, but but it it didn't. He thought that that was going to you know help him, and that was his answer. But it wasn't. Self knowledge wasn't. He didn't have a solution yet. He had he knew the problem, but no solution. And this this is also mirrored in the big book where what, 63. It's not until 63 that we're learning. We're in step three. One and two are up to 63 pages. That's over a third of the instructions in the big book. And this mirrors my life as well. You know, I came into OA in my 20s a few times. And I happened to run across a journal entry that said, oh, yeah, I went to OA a few times. I knew I had a food problem early on. And I went to OA a few times. And, uh, yeah, it was nice, but there was a lot of talk about God. And if they were so recovered, why why are they still in the rooms? And I just didn't get it. And I walked into the rooms of OA a few times in my 30s. And I thought, okay, uh, well, I can't. Talking about putting down food substances, I can't do that now. Well, in my 40s, I didn't walk in. I crawled in. I crawled in the rooms, and that's how the progression of my disease looked. I was no longer, it was my master. Food was my master by that point, um, taking me down to the bottom of the ocean. And um, 
I'm so struck here by the fact that I have to fully embrace that I'm powerless. And the book tells us that's not a, a fun proposition. None of us like that. But that's what I have to fully embrace, entire abstinence. Um, and the seriousness of my of my food, of my compulsive overheat, excuse me, my compulsive overeating, it's serious. Um, and sometimes back in the disease I used to compare, like, oh, alcoholics have it worse. Or, you know, or, or I would say, you know, it's easier. They just put down the alcohol. But, um, this is a serious, serious disease. I have to take it that way. Thank you for letting me share, and uh, and I pass. And thank you, Mimi W. And as I am writing down names, I ask if you would please, please call your name out one time and to avoid using speaker phones when it's your turn to share. That would be so helpful. So who would like to comment for approximately three minutes on what was read? Janet B. Lisa M. Janet B. Kim G. Kim G. Lisa B. Lisa B. Katie F. Lindsay R. Rowan M. And Lindsay R. And we'll stop right here. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. This is who I have for the first round, Nessa R. And everybody would just mute your phone, please. Thank you all so kindly. Okay, this, I have Nessa R, Janet B, Kim G, Lisa B, Katie F, and Lindsley R. Good morning, Nessa R. It was Lindsay R. Sorry, um, Santa, did you call on me? This is Nessa R. I sure did. Go right ahead. Oh, okay, thank you. Good morning, vision for you. This is Nessa R. I recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. And um, we have all learned here on this line and elsewhere that um, Bill W. was very clever with words. And I don't think, as a result of that, that uh, he chose the, way, the, the word um, quicksand out of the air. I think he was put here for a specific purpose. And I just love this as a metaphor, uh, an excellent analogy for not only the disease, but recovery. You know, once a person falls in quicksand, the more they struggle and the more they try to get out on their own, the more they sink into the quicksand. And that was definitely the case for me with my disease. You know, once it grabbed a hold of me and the addiction progressed, the more I tried to control the food, uh, the more it controlled me and the worse it got. And, you know, just like in quicksand, a person cannot get out on their own. They need somebody on the outside of the quicksand them out and that, 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 that individual or entity cannot uh, jump in with them and push them out because they'll sink themselves. They have to throw them a lifeline. And for me and my disease, that entity who stood outside the quicksand um, is God and the lifeline that he threw my way were the 12 steps, you know, that are practiced in entire abstinence. And just like in quicksand, you know, I have to hold on to that lifeline for, for dear life. You know, if I get to the edge of the quicksand and I let go of the, the, the lifeline, I say, well, now, thank you, I can, I can jump up the edge here uh, by myself, then uh, I'm going to fall right back into the quicksand. Um, and it's the same way with recovery. Once I grab a hold of the 12 steps 
and I get to recovered or to near recovered, I have to stay holding on because if I say, okay, thank you, God, I'll just take it from here, I'm going to go back to where I started, just like the quicksand, and it's just such a beautiful analogy. Um, you know, I, I think that perhaps, and I don't want to be so presumptuous to assume that this is what Bill had in mind, but this, this is certainly the picture that it connotes for me. I not only have to admit that I am powerless, uh, that involves admitting that I cannot do it by myself, because if I could have done it alone, I would have done it already, and I wouldn't be here um, so early um, in the morning and um, every single day, day in and day out. And um, um, the payback of doing so has been so unbelievable. Uh, it has given me such a, such a beautiful life, such a contented life, not because my circumstances have changed, as I say many times, but because I have changed, because God has transformed me as a result of my holding on to the 12 steps and working them every single day to the best of my ability in abstinence. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Nessa R. Good morning, Janet B. Good morning. This is Janet B. Recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia in New Jersey. Um, the line that struck me was just, alcohol was my master. And I remember being in OA and knowing that food was my master. I couldn't stop. And I was so grateful when I found OA because now I knew I wasn't just like some freak show that I had a disease. So I thought, this is great. Now I know food is my master. I should be able to stop. But I couldn't. And I spent six years in OA really having taken a first step, I believe, really believing that food was my master, really knowing that I was powerless. And that alone didn't do me any good because just knowing that I'm powerless didn't give me power. Just like, I guess, if I went to the doctor and said, okay, I admit I'm powerless over this pneumonia and it makes my life unmanageable. The doctor wouldn't just say, great, now you know you have pneumonia, now go out and get better. I would have to take the medicine, the penicillin or whatever. And so for me, um, knowing that food was my master was my ticket in, um, into working the steps. But my recovery really started um, when I started to believe that God could heal me. Because the book doesn't tell me that lack of knowledge is my dilemma, so that I had to acknowledge that food was my master. It tells me that lack of power was my dilemma. So once I saw that I had no power over food and that food was my master, I had to start you know, working my butt off to really come to believe that there was a power that could restore me to sanity. And only then was I able to put down the food and by his grace, um, keep it down. So thank you. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Janice B. Good morning, Kim G. Good morning, Santa. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm going to drill down on that, that sentence as well that Janet did. Alcohol was my master. And what was important for me to understand was that alcohol, food was my master, whether or not I was in the food or I was absent. Because if I'm an untreated compulsive ovary, if I'm without a spiritual solution, it doesn't matter whether I'm eating or not. You know, we're right now in the middle of a holiday season, and if I was in the food, 
the activities that I was going to were centered on getting to the food that I needed. But if I was abstinent, the activities that were centered on were avoiding the food that I needed. So whether I was abstinent or not, food was making every decision in my life. Because without a spiritual solution, if I'm just white-knuckling it, going willpower and keeping on guard, that's a miserable way to live. And what are the consequences if you're a real compulsive overeater? At the end of the day, at the end of the story, the frightful day will come when you will eat again. You know, and I, I had to find out that learning about my illness was not enough. Understanding what a compulsive overeater was not enough. And that's why I love that line, cornered at last. It was when I felt my true powerlessness. It was when I felt defeated and beaten up and bloody from this disease that some willingness started to come in. You know, I often think of, um, you know, on Facebook, I see a lot of these dog rescue places that are trying to get donations. And it's a pretty common theme. You see a stray dog out there, and he's beat up, he's matted, he's, you know, mangy, he's starving, and he is fighting, he's growling, he's kicking, and the rescuers are trying to help him, and they finally corner him at last, and he's fighting with everything that he has. And there gets to be a moment when they get a collar around him, or maybe a human being finally gets him in his arms, and you can see the dog totally collapse and surrender. And that's what I had to do. I fought this tooth and nail. And then I had to surrender, which meant the food first had to die. And then secondly, I had to surrender into this process. But even in this process, I'm going to start fighting it again. I'm going to be like that wild mangy dog saying, no, 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 I can do this on my own. Leave me alone. So where does the big book warn us? It warns us in four and five. If we skip this final step, we're going to drink again and lose a lot of people in four and five. It warns us multiple times in step nine that I have to do the utmost to straighten out my past or I'm going to drink again. And in step 12, it tells me nothing so much will ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with alcoholics, which tells me if I don't work with others, odds are I'm going to drink again. And even in that spiritual experience in the back of the book, it says we've had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. It's not a personality change sufficient to maintain recovery. So I have to remember that I am cornered at last, I'm going to drink again, and that food is my master if I don't say LinkedIn to the spiritual solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And next we have is Lisa B. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Santa. Thank you for your service. Good morning. My name is Lisa B. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And the line that jumps out for me in the reading is quicksand stretched out around me in all directions. And, um, you know, as we meet each morning for this intensive study in the big book, I find it vital that I identify in where I am today, you know, as a recovered person. Um, you know, it's easy for me to definitely identify in when I was in the food and before I was recovered. Oh, I can for sure see the quicksand. But, you know, as a recovered person, I need to live in steps 10, 11, and 12. And, and in our readings on, on those steps, it tells me that alcohol is a subtle foe, that it goes underground and it, it morphs into all kinds of new appearances and voices. And one of our um, doctors in the medical view, Dr. Tebow, Dr. Harry Tybo, Tebow, I never know how to say his name. He's a psychiatrist. He wrote some papers on how the ego rebuilds itself. And they used to be used often um, in AA 
um, groups and meetings and literature but in Hazleton, but they're not anymore. But we can Google it and read about how the ego rebuilds itself. And that's why the steps 10, 11, and 12 are there. So some of the ways that quicksand can form around me in a hidden way is um, has have my abstinent foods become too sexy for me. And, you know, I borrowed that line from another person I hear, um, foods that become too sexy, and that really spoke to me. I've had to look at that in my abstinent food plan. Am I obsessing too much on certain food items? Am I getting an effect from an abstinent food item? Um, the other thing is I need to look at in, in the directions in our big book that tell me specifically what to do each day. You know, have I kept something to myself, which should be discussed with another person at once? See, these are all quicksand. They're very subtle. Was I thinking of myself most of the time? Was I thinking what I could do for others? You know, was I kind and loving? Am I letting feelings of selfishness, self-seeking, dishonesty, and fear just go unaddressed? And some synonyms for, for quicksand would be hazard, trap, danger, snare, difficulty. But, you know, I have a very high tolerance to certain types of pain, and I have a very low tolerance to some types of pain. The high tolerance I have is to living in this disease being untreated. You know, I, it just becomes a way of life for me. But that's why if I'm living in the steps, um, they will ensure that I'm not falling through the gaps. And doing these steps every day with that same desperation, like he talks about um, his pain, that pain is there for me. It just goes a little bit more subtle. And that's why living as a recovered person, I need to quickly get through all of my amends, you know, once I've done the steps before, steps nine, and then jump right into 10, 11, and 12 and not minimize those. Every day, live in those steps. It's so vitally important. With that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. Good morning, Katie F. Lucy R. Good morning. This is Katie F. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And, you know, when I first read this, every time I read this, um, these paragraphs, I just feel so sad for him. And then I think, well, wait a minute. This is exactly where I was, you know, just feeling like there was no hope and that um, my life had completely, was completely falling in around me, just like quicksand. And that's, that's where I had to be. You know, there was no one coddling me and telling me it'll be okay, it'll be okay. I wouldn't talk to anybody about um, what was going on, and I was considering um, suicide. So, you know, and, and yet uh, that's exactly where I needed to be in order to put my hand up and out of the quicksand and let people um, pull me out. And, you know, it's not like they reinvented OA when I was willing to listen and do what the direction said. I'd been in OA for six years, and it was the same message I'd been hearing all those years. I just wasn't ready to do it. I wasn't ready to do the work. Um, and so I can't coddle others who are, you know, telling me they want to recover and then they keep doing the same things over and over again um, that gets them back into the food. You know, I have to um, just keep <laughs> staying the course and, and carrying the same message because that's what worked for me and that's what will work for anybody. Um, you know, I've yet to, I've yet to make, meet someone who thoroughly follows this path, just like it says in chapter five, um, that has to go back to the food. And so I'm just so grateful that, um, 
that he does have this long story because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't just come, come uh, easily. We don't, our will does not die um, just with self-knowledge. You know, the not, he's given the knowledge early on and then he goes back and he goes back and he goes back. And I did that too. You know, I thought that it couldn't be any worse. Um, you know, for me, the end was 70 pounds overweight at the age of 27. Um, that sounds so like not that much compared to the numbers we hear in these rooms now. But now 30 years later, I know that it would be exponentially worse. And, you know, I would gain 100 pounds in, in uh, a matter of months. And it's not just the 100 pounds and the lack of clothing to fit my body. It's that mental torture and that um, just horrible robbing of my life that um, is waiting for me. That It's just waiting for me. It's not like, you know, the whole world has decided that compulsive overeating isn't a good idea. There's just thousands and thousands of people around me all the time. And I'm just so grateful that we do have a solution and I don't have to go back. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you, Katie F. And next we have is Lindsley R. Good morning. Did I get that right? It's actually Lucy R. Lucy R. Thank you, Lucy R. Go right ahead. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Uh, sorry about uh, uh, just announcing myself a few times. I knew my name didn't get called right, and I'm a novice at getting in to share. Um, I really enjoyed the reading, and uh, of course, and I just love this book. The thing that, that stuck out for me this morning is Cornered at Last. Um, you know, I who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. I mean, I've also been in OA for a while. Um, you know, it, uh, the get, there was a gift, actually, in hitting bottom. Uh, there is a gift in being desperate because when I finally got desperate, when I finally really hit bottom, when there was no other answer but a power greater than myself, I mean, that was a complete, crushing experience like Bill describes here everything had to end I had to be completely convinced to be able to be completely ready I had to come to know that food was and really to this day it still is my master I cannot beat this this master I can't do it by myself it has to be a power greater than me and I take heart I was able when I finally hit bottom I was ready and I was able to see all of the spiritual tools that were being laid out in front of me, the 12 steps. I became willing to surrender and every day I have to recommit to being willing to surrender to my higher power and willing to surrender to use this, the tools of the 12 steps which have been laid out for me. And this is a daily renewal. Every day I have, to, I have to remind myself who I am, remind myself who is my power greater than me, and remind myself that the way I am able to uh, face another day is by using the spiritual tools of the 12 steps. Thank you, and I pass. 
Okay, thank you, Lucy R. And thank you to everyone who shared so far and, and greatly appreciate staying within the three minutes so we can get more people in this morning. If you're just joining us, we are we just reread page seven, beginning at the third paragraph, but it was not and we read through three paragraphs this morning and comments on all. And we'll continue. Who would like to comment for approximately Julia. three minutes? Julia. 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 Seneca Kenton. Kenton T. Roanne M. Lori W. Lori W. Nicole P. Okay, we're going to stop right here. Everybody can mute their line, and I'll read to you who I have. I have Julie R., Colin G., Tenton T., I think this is, um, I'm not sure of this name. Okay, I have Lori W., Nicole R., and uh, something with an M. I, I apologize, I didn't get the name. Noreen M., I believe. T. Okay, Julie R., would you like to get us started? Thank you very much. Hi, this is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. And when I hear this paragraph or these two paragraphs and read them, I mean, I always just kind of like clutch, put my hand over my heart because I just remember the pain. Um, and it's such a dark, dark place. Uh, you know, when it talks about there had been much happiness after, oh, I thought of my poor wife. You know, I think of my husband who I've been with since 1986. And for him to see me on this roller coaster, you know, married a woman at a healthy body weight who was abstinent. And then the trials and the tribulations and, you know, him not being able to do anything. And that the whole paragraph where it's no words can tell the loneliness and the despair, the quicksand. It's like there is nothing that can um, describe the hell that that we live in. But this paragraph comes so close. I mean, being smothered slowly but still trying to get through, always reaching for that, you know, the the log to get me, pull me out of the quicksand. And I just got further and further and further. I mean, it, it, I, I just can't begin to tell you the, I can, you guys understand the, the pain, the hate, the disgust, the fear, the anger that we live in 24 seven. And I am just so grateful that today I am surrounded with family and friends, um, and I'm making, you know, decadent breakfasts and all of that, and it's just nothing because it's not my food. And if you could compare me to just a little over three years ago, somebody eating in the bathroom, eating out of the garbage, eating off your plate, to where I am today, the freedom, the happiness, the joy that I have in my life. And why? Why do I have that? It's because I live the 12 steps and I, you know, I'm actively working my program, my spiritual program, because that's all I have. And I cannot rest on my laurels, even maybe, maybe two days without prayer or meditation. One, I would get in a fight with somebody, too. I would be in the food soon. So, yeah, alcohol, food was my master. Nothing could stop me. But today, I am free. Yay. Anyway, have an awesome day. 
Pass. Thank you, Julie R. Good morning, Harlan G. Good morning, Santa, and thank you for your service. Thank you to Team Monday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Last week, we saw Bill going into the hospital in 1933, April of 33, and he is able to stay sober for one year based on sheer willpower and sheer self-knowledge. Now we're in 1934. We're in the depths of the, dep- of the depression. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about that. And he says, but it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more. And there was always that day that no matter what my motivation, no matter what my pain, no matter what my circumstance, I ate again. I was at a party last night where there was a ton of people there that are from Chicago that we we were all uh, entertaining ourselves and things. It was just wonderful. Half of Chicago, I think, is in Scottsdale right now, which is great. And one guy comes up to me and he says, you know, I've been coming to this party for years. I've never seen you put anything on your plate and eat it. And I said, with God's grace, you never will because there's nothing there that's on my food plan. But anyway, 1934, Bill is hospitalized again, Downs Hospital. He's under the care of Dr. Silkworth. He returns to the hospital and he is laying in his bed And upon seeing Bill Wilson's return, Dr. Silkworth has come to the conclusion that Bill is not a heavy drinker. Bill is not a person who gets in trouble with liquor once in a while. Bill is an alcoholic. And Dr. Silkworth tells Lois. And Bill is just coming to. Lois and Dr. Silkworth are in the doorway. And he says, that it would all end in heart failure during delirium tremens or I would develop a wet brain. Wet brain is a vegetative state. It comes from a deficiency of the B1 vitamin, and the, the liver and the brain cannot rehydrate themselves, and the liquor strips them of any hydration, and it is a vegetative state. They did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. Doctors would tell me for years from the time I was a teenager, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. They told my mother, they told my father, they told me, you're going to die. I was 335 pounds at age 17 as a senior in high school, 18 as a senior in high school, and I wanted to die desperately. I welcomed the idea too. It was a, a blow to his pride. I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last, top of page eight. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining the endless procession of sots. A sot is a drunk, a drunkard who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. He cannot see the forest through the trees because he's not Um. offered a solution yet. We're going to get to that in, in, in a little bit, not today, but this week we're going to get to the solution. But he wants to die. He's powerless. We're in Hi. step one. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. And thank you, Harlan G. And next we have is Tenzin P. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, actually, the, the sentence that uh, jumped out at me is the one just after what Harlan is sharing about 
it's at the top of page eight, and Bill says, what would I not give to make amends? You know, um, the level of regret and desperation that's being described here, I can relate to. And um, and then Bill goes back out in the next paragraph, describes that. Um, what would I not give to make amends? Well, I'm in my ninth step now, by the grace of God and with the willingness to actively work this program. And um, it's not easy. It's not a quick fix. But um, uh, there's nowhere else I would rather be. I feel so grateful. So that's basically what I wanted to express, as well as um, gratitude for everyone on the line. Uh, it, this, I've, I, this has changed my life so much and uh, continues to change it a day at a time. So thank you, and I pass. And thank you so much for sharing, Tenzin P. And next we have is Russ-Ann M. Good morning. Hi, this is Rowanna, and I'm calling in from New York. I'm very grateful to be on the line. Um, this, These lines are, this, these paragraphs are just, so powerful to me. When I read these paragraphs, the most, the strongest thing that sticks out to me is quicksand. Because when I think of quicksand, I think of trying, trying, trying to get out of the hole. And every time I try, just going deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's how it was in my illness. Just every time I would try to impose my control. I would just go deeper into the disease and get worse and worse, and the progression would get more and more fatal. And quicksand stretched around me in all directions. That just paints a vivid picture for me that of helplessness, of despair, of just being in a place where I had to completely surrender, where I was powerless, where my life was unmanageable, where I had to be out of ideas, where I had to throw up my hands and just say, okay, my way is not working. I have literally tried everything. Tell me what to do. I'm beat up. I'm battered by this illness. I love the analogy that someone used about the dogs, the stray dogs. Um, that was me. I was angry. I was alone. I had nowhere else to go. This was the last stop on the bus. Alcohol was my master. Yeah, I had, it was, it controlled every aspect of my life, good and bad. Um, no words can tell the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. I was very alone. <clears throat> I had no one that understood the pain that I was going through. It was a pain so deep that I just didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about it. And then I remember going to my first OA meeting and I was so resentful about being there and I didn't want to be in a 12-step program. And then I heard my insanity 
coming out of someone else's mouth. And I just broke down crying. I could not believe that someone else was saying things that were in my brain. And it was just, you know, they talk about in the big book, the language of the heart. They were speaking the same language as me. And I just was like, this is unbelievable. And I was instantly connected to these people that I had never met before. And they were speaking of things that I felt. And thank you so much for letting me share with that I pass. And thank you so much for sharing, Roseanne. Ro and M. Thank you. Good morning, Lori W. Good morning. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share and for your service. Um, can I be heard? Yes, you can. Thank you very much. I want to take a look at these lines that um, say they did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Um, Somewhere in my growing up, I became identified and I identified myself as the strong one in the family. So whenever anything happened, um, I'm the younger of two girls um, and my sister's three years older, but anytime any, anyone messed with her, I, I was her defender and they could have been, you know, two times my size, but I, I would jump in to save her and um, you know, whenever there were just issues in my family um, of origin, I was the one to fix it. When I had my own family, I became the fixer. I became the fixer for the husband, for the children, for the the bills, whoever. And I, I thought that that was great, that I could figure out a solution and fix everybody's problems and fix every situation that came about, I could, I could make it better. That was what my skill was in, in my family and in my life. But there was a time that that became overwhelming to me and I was being their solution and food was becoming my solution. And I, again, I thought it was great that they, you know, when there was a problem, Oh, we need Lori, we need Lori. Oh, what, what should we do? Um, But there became a time that that just got so overwhelming to me. Um, and I was cornered. I didn't know how to say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you should do. I don't know how to fix this. I'm not, I don't have the capacity. I don't have the ability to do that. And, um, it really depressed me and I, it did bring me down. Um, and no words could tell of the loneliness and despair I found, uh, in the self pity that I could no longer be the solution for other people. Um, I was not doing them a service and I was not doing myself a service is what I really realized. Um, Enabling them was disabling me. And I had met my match. I was overwhelmed and I was in the food like crazy um, because I could no longer um, pretend to be other people's solution. And food became my master. And on my five foot one frame, I blew up to 275 pounds because uh, food was my master. And um, 
I had to really get into this program. I got a great sponsor. I worked the steps. I worked the program. Um, my my mind shifted. The paradigm shifted, and I was able to let God be my master okay. uh, and take thank you take over the food and. It has changed my whole character and personality, and I'm grateful for that today. It's changed my body from a size 24 to a size 2, and I'm just grateful today that I don't have to be anyone else's solution, and God is my solution. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you so much, Lori W., for sharing. And next we have is Nicole R. Good morning. Good morning, Santa. Thank you for your service. This is Nicole P., a grateful, compulsive reader in recovery from Georgia. I want to touch on that first sentence, but it was not. For the frightful day came when I drank once more. For me, as I was sharing with someone in program last night, what amazes me is no matter how long you're recovered, I have to keep in contact with my higher power because I can easily go into this warped way of thinking that I did it on my own, and that's when the disease comes because, really, it never goes away. My higher power is my shield against the lies that my disease tries to tell me, like, yeah, you can eat that pizza, you can eat that cookie, you'll be fine, whereas I forgot the one important part, which is, When I'm not in tune with him, I am in big trouble. And on the 14th through the 20th of December, I went into this whole other fantasy world that I remember going into before program, and for an entire week, I picked up. And it took me being in tune with my higher power, me doing things I didn't necessarily want to do. I picked up the phone. I picked up tools. I listened in on these phone meetings. And my higher power reassured me that not only am I not alone, but I can choose to live in the self-pity that I had began to start living in and watch the quicksand come around me to the point where I had to have a moment where I actually tried to rationalize ordering a pizza. And I had to say out loud to my disease, do I want it or do you want it? And right like clockwork, Someone in program called me. Uh, alcohol was my master. Yeah. I remember saying, you're a slave to whatever controls you. Well, I was definitely a slave to certain ingredients and certain foods. And in that moment of time, that illusion that I could eat normally kept me in this fog for a week. And now that I'm out of the fog, I can say goodbye master food, and hello, higher power. For me, I didn't think so well of myself. I've heard people on the program, you know, on the phone say that they thought well of themselves. For me, I couldn't have thought well of myself because if I did, I wouldn't have been killing myself for 16 years. I wouldn't have been killing myself for a week. It wasn't until I was honest about how I felt, wrote it down, said it out loud, felt my feelings but didn't sit there and whine about, oh, my life this, oh, my life that. Life is going to happen. But I can live it sober and experience it and share it and know that I will be okay and this too shall pass. And just as Bill 
in these coming chapters we'll find that. Mm -hmm. I'm knowing now that this had to happen for me to really grasp the powerfulness of this disease. And with that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Nicole P. And we have time for one more share. Anita J. Anita J, go right ahead. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning, Santa, and everybody here. Um, You know, I've I've kept nodding my head all last week, and so finally I'm going to let me press this. Um, Anyway, I just wanted to say that first sentence, too, um, but, but it was not. You know how many times, but it was not, I did since 1978? I didn't know I had such willpower, short-term willpower. But you know what? We know in, in what we've just read that we, he's, God finally, God is going to provide his, his uh, way out just the way when I finally got that ego gone so, or as low as it had ever been. And I was ready to surrender to anything but Anita. Please, um, you know, his Emmy arrived. And what, what happened for me? Vision. Vision for you arrived with the same book. But I never heard it this way. This way. And, um, you know, I've been in so many different weights. Um, I realize that what I weigh now if we go back to 1988, I'm 101 pounds different. I got to face that you were capable of even more than that. But I was always dieting. If I had ever let myself go, it's just incredible. Face it, Anita. You are you on your own and in other areas of your life. You couldn't solve making everybody happy. You complicated people. They're scratching their heads. Anyway, the point of this is I hope everybody gets what I got because I found out, you know, Anita, in one way, you're nothing special. You're another bozo on the bus. But in another way, you're very special. My higher power loved all of us. Us little special people. And... um I am so grateful that this finally came for me. And um, I don't want to jump ahead, but, you know, it started, my last binge was February 3rd, 2014. And, you know, what's coming up in another month or two, I'm just very, I never mind that. I'm grateful for today, and I'm grateful for the rocketing. I got my own rocket, you know, and with that I passed. And thank you so much, Nina J. And as I just want to make a comment here, as I was listening to everyone sharing and as I was reflecting on my own process, food, yeah, I came in, I was able to put the food down rather quickly. Um, But for me, I think my issue was the second part of step one, where it's just life, my life is unmanageable. And so it just reminds me as I hear everyone share and I'm reflecting on my own experiences that step one for me was a process. And there's nowhere in this book it says we get here, here is step one, here is step two, but it does say here, there is step three. 
And so I always say, you know, this process happened to me, not by me. And I don't never know when I did take step one, but I know I did. And not only did I realize that um, Prue was my master, but I had to come to the conclusion to the depth of my, of my being that my life truly was unmanageable. And thank you all for listening. And thank you all for sharing this morning. And please join us all for the second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for Monday, December 25th, the 7 a.m. Eastern time is 10835. Again, that's 10,835. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Amy W. please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Allison L. Did you mean me? I sure did. Thank you, Allison L. (laughs) Thank you for your service. Uh, Good morning to all on the line. This is Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, 